Scott, today we are in Luke chapter 8, so go ahead and turn there. And uh, we've seen Jesus do some incredible miracles uh, so far through the book of Luke. Um, and he's already cast out multiple demons and multiple different people. Uh, today we get the most extensive story of Jesus' power over the demonic world. Um, but instead of really focusing on all of that, I think the story today is about more than just that Jesus has authority or Jesus proves he's the Son of God. We get a glimpse today into how Jesus changes our life. And that second song we just sang, My Jesus, uh, I think it could have been written by this demoniac today as he went back to where Jesus saved him from, and he tells everyone about how much God had done for him. That's what this, that song was about, and that's what our passage is about today, how our healing is meant to lead to our heralding. Now, I got in a rut this week, and I started going down the path of alliteration. And if you know me as a preacher, you know I'm not really one of those guys as an alliterator. But I started making a list from A to Z, and then I scrapped the whole list, but here's the best ones. This story is about moving from bondage to belief, from a mess to having a message, from being possessed to being a preacher. And I had a whole bunch of bad ones, the A, C, D, E, and I'll give you that list later if you want it. But this is the point today. This man was healed for a reason. He was freed for a reason. Why? to go back and to herald the good news where he was. So let's read it together. Starting in verse 26. It says, then they, this is Jesus and the disciples, then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert." Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, 
Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this story this morning, God, and I thank you for the truth that it uh, communicates to us that you are the son of the most high God. You are the highest authority. You are king of kings and Lord of lords, and there is no power that is greater than you. God, and we thank you that you choose people like us to save, to rescue from bondage, just like this man. God, and you give us a purpose to go back to where we come from, to tell of how how great you have treated us, the grace that you've given us, and all that you've done for us. God, I pray this morning that we would see that in our own lives. We would see that pattern, how you want to move us from bondage to belief, how you want to move us from captives to free, and how you want to heal us so that we will herald the good news to those around us. And so we love you, God. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, let's look at it. Verse 26. So they sailed uh, across, they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. So Jesus, remember, has been in the north in, in Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee, towns like Capernaum and Nazareth and all these places. And he sails across, I don't have a fancy map this morning, but he sails across to non-Israelite country. Uh, they were, they were, across the lake. It was a totally different country, non-Jewish, totally Gentile. And Jesus goes across there, and Luke tells us this story. Why? Because the point of all of Luke is what? That this is the good news for everyone, not just for the Jews, right? And so Jesus goes across to do some ministry uh, in in a non-Jewish place. And as it were, verse 27, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. It's almost as if somehow this guy's in charge of this story, right? Uh, But he gets out on the land, and what happens? There's a crazy man who interacts with him. A man who it says is possessed by many demons, not just one. I don't know what it's like to interact with a demon-possessed person, but I can imagine that being interacting with one who is possessed by a legion of demons is even more frightful. And I don't, I don't know that we have a clear picture of this uh, in our day, uh, what demon possession looks like, but thankfully Luke gives us a lot of details, so we can picture this. So, Picture some of this with me, okay? Verse 27, it says, uh, For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And he continues down in 29 describing him that for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard, bound in chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. What we can picture is this. This man is controlled by these demons. Whatever they are, whatever they're about, they are... Is that me? That's got to be me, right? That noise? Is it my movement? Okay, I don't know. I'm going to try to not stand over there. This man is controlled. And it says he'd been this way for a long time. He has a reputation in his community. He is known as the demon-possessed man. 
This man is naked. Don't picture that part, all right? This man, he is so captured by these demons that he has no shame at all about his appearance, his behavior, or anything. He is totally dominated by these demons. He's dirty. He's gross. He's beaten up. He's probably disfigured. He's all sorts of things. He is nothing pretty to look at. This man is homeless. He doesn't live in a normal home like anybody else would have. Where is he living? He's living among the tombs, the dead. Let me get a microphone. Is this working? Is that better? All right. He's living among the tombs. He's not living in a house, right? I, I don't know if you can picture this in our day, what this would be like, but this man is at the bottom He is at the very bottom of the social ladder. He's at the very bottom of the economic ladder. He's got nothing going for him. He is is rejected and on the outside of everything. Why? Because he's completely controlled by these demons. Verse 29 tells us that, that at some point, people had tried to help him. At their help for him, the only thing they could do to help him, what was it? Give him more control more chains. So they tried to bind him. They put chains and shackles on him. I don't know if he's violent. I don't know if he's self-destructive. But these people, the only thing they could do to think that would help him was, let's chain him down. Maybe he won't hurt us any longer. This man is a sad, sad picture, right, of what it looks like to be controlled by something that has evil intent, This is the man who's all the way at the edge of what it looks like to be controlled by sin, by evil, right? It does not desire good for you, right? What does Jesus say in John 10, 10? I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. But the enemy, what is he? He came to steal, kill, and destroy. His intentions, this this demon possession is not for his good. It has led to nothing good in his life. And this is who Jesus interacts with. Look at verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Now, if you're following along with the grammar, we start to get a little uh, confusing here when it comes to who is talking to who and who is speaking. And Okay? Because first it's Jesus speaking to the man, but then the man's speaking, but it's actually the demon speaking. But it's not just one demon, it's demons. And so we got, we got some pronoun messiness here, all right? It's fine. The demons are the one in control. And so when these demons see Jesus, what do they do? It says that they fall down before him. Jesus hasn't done anything. He hasn't said anything. He simply shows up, and what do they do? They fall down. They show their submission. They show their respect. They know that that Jesus is a higher authority than even their master. They know that, that there's nothing they can do. They recognize his authority immediately. I don't know who, who that would be in our society. That if they walked in the room this morning, we would just bow down. It's not the president. It's not, I don't know who that is. But, but imagine a king. And they come in. And we just all bow down, right? And what does he say? What, is the, the, what do the demons say? He uses his name and he 
gives him his title. This man who's never met Jesus, these somehow professes this. And he says, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? The demon knows who this is. The demon is very familiar with who Jesus is and, and what his identity is. There's no doubt or question in his mind. Remember, that, that's why we've been studying Luke, because Luke's trying to convince Theophilus that Jesus is the son of God. This demon, he's already convinced. He knows without a doubt. He's not wondering who this is. He's questioning, what are you here for? Why are you here? What are you going to do to me? Because I know you're going to do something to me. And he begs in verse 28, I beg you, do not torment me. See, this demon knows he has been beat. He knows that the victory is already the Lord's. He knows that he will never win. He's simply a pest until the end of time, right? He's been given some authority to to pester and to torment us. But he knows that at the end of time when Jesus comes, he is beat. And so I think this demon in this moment is thinking, oh man, time's up already? Like, is now it? Are you going to torment me on my way out? But Jesus isn't. Look at verse 29. It says, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Look at verse 30. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, lesion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Like we've seen Jesus do time and again, Jesus simply gives a command. He, he proclaims the word of God to this demon, and what happens? It obeys. Just like he did last week, he speaks to the wind and the waves, and what does it do? It obeys. And just like he does to us, he's supposed to speak the word of God, and those who are his mother and brothers, what are we supposed to do? Obey, right? He speaks to this demon, and the demon knows that he has to obey but they have a little conversation on their way out. <laughs> they do a little bargaining, right? And Jesus looks at him in verse 30 and asks, what is your name? And I think he's speaking to the man. I don't think he's speaking to the demons. I think he's speaking to the man. I think he's given dignity to this, this man who's been excluded and hated and rejected and in, enslaved for his whole life probably. I think he's trying to give demon, uh, dignity to him. But the demons are still in control, and he said, Legion. Legion is a word that means great in number. If, if it's military terms, it's thousands of soldiers, right? So this is, this is the idea of total domination. This man is not just kind of dabbling in a little bit of sin, not just dabbling in a little bit of evil. He is totally enslaved to sin. And it says that Jesus simply spoke a word. There's no hocus pocus. There's no magic wand. There's no fancy ritual. There's no animal sacrifice. There's no black magic arts or anything. Jesus simply speaks. And he knows I've got to leave. I've got to leave. 
And so they beg him not to depart into the abyss, right? They beg him. Now, they, they don't want this to be the end. They want to continue their mission of destroying and stealing and killing from us, right? They think, oh, maybe this is the end. And, and Jesus says, no, this is not it. So they ask, can we go into this large herd of pigs? And if you're looking for some real insight this week, I got none. I, I don't know how demons think. I don't know why they're interested in going to a herd of pigs. I, I, I got nothing for you. If you got something this week, bring it to me. But for some reason, this is what they wanted to do. And I think Jesus gives them permission for one reason and one reason only. Because it would be a very visible sign that the demons have left this man and now they're over here. Right? I think it's a very visible evidence of life change. That this man has been freed and now these pigs, they're call them legion, right? I mean, because they're enslaved, right? And so what, is it, what happens? Verse 33. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. And I, don't, I don't know what to do with that. But what an incredible sight to see that day. A man who has been enslaved and dominated and controlled by sin, all of a sudden, now, that has come out of him, and it's over here in these pigs, and they've rushed to their death. It's a picture that this is where this man was headed. If it were not for his freedom from Jesus, this man enslaved to these demons would be just like those pigs. That's, that's where his life was headed. Verse 34. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Right? So, man, poor herdsmen, right? Poor herdsmen. They show up this day, just normal day, taking care of their pigs, and all of a sudden... Their pigs are running into the lake, killing themselves, right? Kind of feel for those guys. But as you can imagine, once they get over the shock of it, they're not pleased, right? Their, their, their source of livelihood is gone. And so they, they leave this situation fearful. They, they don't want anything to do with it. And they go to the town and they start telling people what had happened. Man, you know all those pigs we just got? They just ran off the crazy dude, all this stuff. They give them all the details. And it says that the people came out to see what had happened. They heard about it, and they wanted to know for themselves, is this really true? Did this really happen? I love how Luke continually puts that theme in here, that all these people saw this happen, and then people came back and confirmed that this happened, right? We, why is he doing that? Because he wants Theophilus, and he wants us to have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. This was not done in a corner. This was not done... In secret, this happened. You can go find the pig carcasses, right? That's, what, that's kind of what he's saying. So the people come out, and they come out, and they see two people. They see Jesus, and they see the local crazy man. <laughs> but they don't get what they expect, right? They see Jesus, and they see the local crazy man, but he wasn't the local crazy man any longer. 
It says that he was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. He's no longer controlled by demons, so he's, he's in his right mind. He's no longer bound in chains and shackles. No, he's sitting calmly. He's no longer crazed and all over the place. No, he's talking with Jesus. He's having a normal conversation. I can imagine he's rejoicing. I imagine there's tears. I'm imagining, and what an amazing experience for him. He's just sitting there soaking up. Jesus, who has set him free from, from bondage and from death. And it says that the people, when they see this, verse 35, they came to see Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. That they were afraid. Now think about this. These are, these are Gentiles. These people know nothing really of, of they might know a little bit about Judaism, but, but, but these are not people who are familiar with what's going across, across the lake. They don't know who Jesus is, and this guy just shows up and sets this guy free from these demons, liberates this captive free. And they are concerned. One, they just lost a lot of pigs. But two... I think they're, they're really concerned with this kind of power, this kind of authority, this kind of person in their midst. They don't, they don't really want anything to do with it. They're just, they're afraid. So what happens? It says the witnesses, uh, verse 36, those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. They couldn't get their heads around. No, this is that crazy man who was naked, living in the tombs. Like, but now he's sitting, how did this happen? How did this happen? And it says that the witnesses said, no, no, here's how it happened. Jesus told them, and they left, and now he's healed, right? They confirmed that Jesus is the one that did this, that Jesus freed him, that Jesus healed him, that Jesus cared for him. And it says in verse 37, then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. Man, I don't, I don't know what would happen today if we saw a great miracle. Maybe we would ask that person to leave too. Maybe we would just be so fearful and frightened by the whole deal that we would ask him to leave. And these people saw it, and they're filled with fear, and they just say, Jesus, you got to go. I don't, I don't know what kind of power that is, but you've got to go. These people are rejecting Jesus, they don't want anything to do with him. And Jesus, what does it say? He got into the boat and he returned. He wipes the dust off of his feet. He, I mean, I don't know how long he's there. Is he there a couple hours, maybe? He showed up on the boat, causes chaos, and then he leaves. He wipes the dust off his feet. And it says that the man, verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away. The man who, who had just experienced this incredible freeing and, and new lease on life, he's been given everything by Jesus. He's like, I want to go with you because look what just happened to me. Like, I want to go, I want to get more of this. I want to stay with you, whatever that means. I don't, because I was living in the tombs. I got an opening for a roommate. You know, like I want to go with you. You've got a boat at least. Maybe I could stay with you for a little while. 
But Jesus sent him away. Look at verse 39. He says, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Jesus doesn't let this man come with him. He has a much greater purpose. Where does he send him to? To all the people that just rejected Jesus. To all the people that are scared to death of Jesus. And he tells him what? Go tell them how much Jesus has done for you. Go tell them how much God has done for you. He is a Gentile, sent back to Gentiles to tell them about the God of Israel and how he sets the captives free, how he liberates those who are in bondage, how he uh, frees those who are oppressed, how he is here to bring the good news. And what does this man do? I would have snuck on that boat, but look what he says. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This demoniac who's been controlled by demons hears the word of the Lord and what does he do? He obeys, right? This man is a part of the kingdom of God because he says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word and obey it. This man goes forth as a believer, and we'll meet him one day in heaven, right? And he will tell us how much Jesus has done for him. Man, what an incredible testimony this guy had, right? Because he, everyone knew him. Everyone knew his reputation. Everyone knew that he was the local crazy man, the naked man in the tombs, like whatever. I don't know what they called him. I don't know what his nickname was, but everybody knew that's so-and-so. And for him to show up in their city saying, look what Jesus did for me. What an incredible testimony. Now we say all that to say this. This is exactly why Jesus sets any of us free. This is exactly why God saves any of us who are oppressed and captive and controlled. The reason he sets us free is not to just hop in the boat with Jesus and kind of hang out as his new roommate. No, he sets us free. Why? So that we would go and tell everyone what Jesus has done for us. Our healing is meant to lead to our heralding. So two stories to illustrate. And then I'll be done. One's a personal story. Well, they're both personal. First one's goofy, but it's true. Uh, about uh, 1 a.m. Saturday morning, I woke up. My wife's at camp. Uh, my kids are in Austin at GG Camp. So I'm just a bachelor life, right? Like of all nights that I want to just sleep. And I wake up at 1 o'clock with this really sharp pain in my back. And uh, I'm getting kind of old, and I had done some yard work, so I thought, man, maybe I, maybe I pulled a muscle. Uh, and my stomach kind of hurt. I ended up throwing up. I thought, okay, maybe I'm just sick. And I kept fighting through this pain for about an hour and a half. And that meant I was laying on the floor in a fetal position. It meant that I was trying to stretch, trying a heating pad, trying ibuprofen, trying the whole gamut of things to get some relief. 
and nothing helped. And so finally at 2.30, I decided, okay, this is bigger than me. Uh, and so I got in my truck, and I drove to the ER, uh, and I put my flashers on, drove real fast, and I get to the ER, and I slump over the table, and I'm like, I just need help. I, I don't know. I got this pain. I think you guys can help. And thankfully, there were some sweet nurses there who got me an IV, got me some medicine, and told me I had a kidney stone, all right? So I spent whatever, a few hours. They tried all kinds of different medicines. Eh, none of them really worked for a little while. Finally, we found a medicine that worked. And let me tell you, when the medicine works, it's good, right? <laughs> when you get the medicine that doesn't work, it's not good. You just My father-in-law and my dad sat there listening to me moan and groan like a little baby. But once there was medicine that worked, man, I just slept for a little while, and eventually the stone passes. It's a silly example, but I am a huge proponent of medicine, all right? If you can get the right medicine, right, why? Because I've experienced healing from the right medicine. Now, why, why do I tell you this? This is a personal spiritual example. In my own spiritual journey, I wasn't the crazy homeless guy. I wasn't, I wasn't, I don't, I don't really identify with this man who's on the outskirts and all this, right? And it's easy for me to write this story off and go, man, I just didn't have that story. I wasn't, I wasn't all the way out there like that. But just like every one of us, I was a sinner who was searching for meaning, for purpose, for forgiveness, something to fill that hole inside of me. And, and yeah, I didn't seek it in drugs and alcohol, but I sought it in success and achievement and money and, and personal clout or whatever. And what I realized is no matter how much of that I got, it didn't fix the problem. It's like my kidney stone. No matter how much I sat on that heating pad, no, no matter how much fetal position I did, that wasn't going to fix the problem. What did I need? I need that two millimeter kidney stone gone. I, that's what I need. And my spiritual life was that I sought that satisfaction and that purpose in something else, and none of it fixed me. And we're all that man. We're all that possessed man who's controlled by something. And when I finally encountered Jesus and realized the offer of forgiveness and mercy and grace, he took away that kidney stone from me. He rescued me from my sin. He forgave me. But he didn't just forgive me to get on the boat. He forgave me. Why? To be a herald of the good news. Right? It'd be evil of me to know the cure for a kidney stone, which I still don't. I don't. I, you just got to pass it. But that's beside the point. It'd be evil of me to know the cure for your cancer, for your sickness, and not tell you. It would be evil of me. It would be hateful of me. But God didn't save us to, to keep our mouths shut. No, he saved us to be a herald of the good news, to proclaim all that God has done for us and how much he has done to save us. And so Christians in the room, what are you proclaiming with your life? What are you telling others? How much has God done for you? And are you telling other people about that? If you're not a Christian in the room, I'm here to tell you this. You can seek after all kinds of satisfaction and purpose and, and forgiveness and all sorts of things. And none of them will satisfy except for Jesus and forgiveness.
If you don't know about that, I'd love to talk with you that more. Let me pray. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. Um, and I thank you for the good news that Jesus came to save sinners. God, who came to save us, to rescue us from our bondage and our slavery. And to bring us to a place of belief where we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died on the cross to save us. And he rose again to show that he has power over life and death. And for those of us who believe in that, God, you have saved us. God, we thank you for that, God. But I also thank you that it doesn't stop there. That no matter um, where we're at in life, you've saved us for a purpose. And you've sent us back somewhere to some people to tell them how much you have done for us. To proclaim and herald the good news with our lives. And so I pray this morning that, that those of us who have experienced healing, God, would be heralds. That we would not just hold it up and, and shut our mouths, God. But that we would love our neighbors so much that we would be willing to tell them of the good news, of the truth. That yes, they are sinners, but there is a way to be saved. And it's in Jesus and Jesus alone. And so, God, I pray that you would give us boldness to be heralds this week. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.